0: Hello, and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best, and what we do to be better under pressure.
1: Three years ago, there was only a 33% chance that we wouldn't be able to stay within one and a half degrees of global heating. Now there's more like a 33% chance that we will Mm. in three years moving in the wrong direction pretty quickly so it'd be easy to despair but i think we've got to celebrate there are victories along the way change is happening but we also need to look after ourselves we have to be aware of what triggers us aware of what depletes us aware of what restores us and then do that habitually despite everything i feel more resilient and more joyful than ever before
0: today i'm talking to adam garfunkel co-owner of the social impact consultancy firm Junction with offices in the UK and Canada. Adam has promoted sustainability for over three decades starting as a volunteer with Greenpeace and then Friends of the Earth before ultimately becoming an independent consultant for many companies reporting on their sustainability programs. His early campaigning work included lobbying successfully for what became the Environment Act in 1995 and persuading Adidas to report openly on their supply chain challenges, as well as writing their first 15 sustainability reports. Since joining Junction as head of the London office, Adam has amongst other things, conceived the communication strategy behind the UN Environment Programme's finance initiative, The Principles for Responsible Banking. This started as a coalition of 130 banks and now has 340 signatories, half the world's banking assets. Adam is passionate about companies meeting high performance standards, being truly accountable to their wider stakeholders and transparent about their progress or lack of it. In our conversation, Adam describes what he learned from Mr. Patney while working in a vegetarian Indian restaurant, the importance of striving for something magnificent that makes the world a better place, and what he gets from plunging into open water at three degrees above zero. Adam, thank you so much for joining me on Better Under Pressure.
1: Delighted to be here, Sarah. Thank you for having
0: Excellent. me. Excellent. Let's get going. What does pressure mean to you, Adam?
1: Pressure. It's about that um that force, that urge to to act, I think.
0: Has so, it always been like that? I mean, is that is is that usual? for you all the way through your life that you feel pressure and it's a force to act?
1: Um, Yeah, I think so. I think, I think sometimes it's, you know, I think when I was younger, it was definitely, you know, a a sense of needing to do something or perform or, or meet expectations, you know, parental expectations, I guess they wanted me to, Mm. they wanted me to, you know, achieve academically and so on. That's, That's certainly something I can recall from when I was pretty young and yeah I think I think as I grew older it's a you know there's a sort of sense of obligation sometimes or there's a sense of needing to respond in some way or take the initiative in some way I think it I think it's it's yeah it's a it's a force I feel to to act to do something to Mm. to step into uh a place uh to say something maybe, but certainly to, to take some initiative.
0: Yeah. And I think that's already really interesting because part of the reason I I wanted to get you on was your, your purpose behind your organization Mm. and what you're endeavoring to do. And, you know, when you said to say something, you know, it's, it's, there's something in there for me around, you know with the current world as it is <laughs> to have a an organization that is actively trying to impact the climate for good mm. um that pressure must show up in so many ways not just for you but also for the people that are working with you and for you and the people that you work in service to
1: yeah definitely so uh the company that I co-own is called Junction Strategy. We're a consulting firm. We help companies be more responsible, sustainable, have a more positive impact in the world. And clearly there's you know lots of challenges in the world today and there's um, lots of work to be done. And we are a group of people who feel very kind of committed and engaged in this agenda. So individually and collectively, there's a sense of pressure to, to make a difference because we all care passionately about the climate, about the planet, about um, people's well-being. And mm. we want to, through our work, make a difference. And, of course, that can be tremendously kind of energizing and exciting and the pressure can be a sort of – to be a force for good can be itself a force for good, if you like. Yep. Uh, uh, but also it can, be, it can be really challenging to be, if you like, at the – at the cutting edge of some of the the work that he's doing of the information that comes across our desks every day and to remain positive and that challenge between not giving into despair and remaining mm. hopeful uh, is definitely a challenge we all feel and and also i think another one around feeling like we're acting with integrity mm. it's it's really it's really easy to, um, to not say the thing that needs saying to a client, to allow mm-hmm. them to take a small step forward when they need to take a big step forward. And to feel like you're acting with integrity in those consulting relationships is sometimes really hard. I think everyone yeah. I know who is thoughtful and meaningful, you know, doing meaningful work in this space Will spend moments when they think, "Am I propping up the system that I say I want to change through the work I'm doing, or am I actually bringing about that change?" And we all reflect on that, I think, uh, and that can that can be a troubling question to ask oneself.
0: Yeah, I imagine, and and I suppose if we if we if I just sort of start with you how, how do you stay connected to that on a daily basis Adam I mean what what, what is it that that allows you to to to, to um, act with that pressure in a way that for you is also about progress mm. even if they're small steps
1: I think it's it's hard sometimes for sure. Part of it is through the way that we all show up at work. Part of it is through creating and leading a business in the in the manner that I think businesses should be run. So in a way, eve even if I'm not, even if I'm wondering whether I'm doing the right thing by or whether the clients I'm working with are doing everything that's necessary. I know we spend a lot of time working on the business as well as in the business, if you like. And we are very thoughtful. And considered about the way we run the business. And if you like, we're creating a little a little island, a little model of the way we think businesses should be run. And it gives me enormous pride and satisfaction to think um people appreciate working here. They pre- they love to work for our company for the most mm-hmm. part, I think. And that's And that we can be a bit of an exemplar to others on what good business looks like and so even if i'm don't have the greatest impact with my clients every day i certainly strive to i know that through the way we are doing business we are creating change just by the very act of existing in the way we do Mm. so the values we have as a business the the work we do to try and run an agency in a way that most consultancies or agencies aren't run, um, the way we try and balance work with life, the way we try and help people be the best possible consultants they can be, all of those things, uh, the way we share profits, we share 20% of our profits with our staff, for example, which is... Mm-hmm relatively speaking, exceptional for our our industry. Um, All these different ways that we try and show up, the ways we try and um, act with each other, the way we look out for each other, all of those qualities make this a good place to work. And the opportunity to create right livelihood work for people that makes them feel like they are contributing, makes them feel valued makes them feel like they're working in a place that is good for them good for their well-being that gives me
0: mm.
1: enormous pride and satisfaction and if we just inspire one or two other businesses to adopt some of our thinking and act the way that we act then that's something we're celebrating and I think that is key to all of this is we don't celebrate our victories enough.
0: Mm.
1: We always think there's more to be worried about. You know, I'm sure someone said something clever about, you know, the problem with with fear is it stops you doing things, but you don't need to you don't need to give in to despair. That's what I think. There's always something Gosh. to celebrate.
0: There is. And it's such a hard thing to do sometimes, isn't it? When our natural default is to focus on all the, what things to do next or also what's just gone wrong. And I, I so agree with you. And there's so much to mine from celebration, actually, if if you really hover over it and you really, really look deeply in it, there's, there's so much to gain from it. Um, and there's so much attention at the moment on, you know, like look at failure and let's deep down in failure. Let's dig into failure and understand it. And yes, you know, that can be helpful. But it can be equally, if not more helpful sometimes to look at what's really working and maximise the strengths and values that sit within those little moments of celebration. So I, t- I totally agree with you. Have you always felt this around work? Did you have to set up your own consultancy, Adam, to be able to honour these things that you are just been talking about, the way you want to do business? Um, what was it that, that created this drive for you?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, you know my my uh, parents worked for around small businesses. I guess there's a certain amount of that that's kind of in my blood. But it's definitely, you know, I was inspired by some people I worked for when I was younger. I was lucky to to work for a couple of really interesting people. So when I was when I was very young, I uh, no, it's a whole story. But I dropped out of university. I was the first person in my family to go to university, and then I dropped out, which obviously was a you know, big shame and pain for and my parents and had difficulty in that relationship when I was 20 years old, whatever. But around that time, I started working in a vegetarian Indian restaurant, which is uncommon for someone like me, perhaps, to work in an Indian restaurant, but I did, and I spent like two or three years working there on and off, and I became front of house. And the Mr. Patney, who ran the restaurant, was a fantastic um, small businessman. You know, he was, mm-hmm. he was entrepreneurial, he was brave, he was considerate, um, he he uh, paid us all a pound an hour more than the going wage for, for mm-hmm. um, waiters because he thought we shouldn't rely on tips to pay people reasonably, you should just pay them reasonably. Um, this was in the 1990s, I mean, it's pretty novel stuff yeah. and any money that was left was sent to save the children in India and, um, uh, you know, he was just, in, in, a, in a small way, he was very inspiring person mm-hmm. to work for. Um, and and taught me some valuable lessons about about how to work with people. When I was front of house, I used to be so passionate. I would I'd kind of harrel and even frankly mistreat the more junior waiting staff if I didn't think they were responding quickly enough to you know table five needs a new drink or something. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, and he said, look, you can't you can't be like that with people. That's not going to get the best out of them. And I and then when I moved into working in in uh, my first agency I worked for. A fantastic um leader called Rebecca Collings who who showed me, showed me a lot of, of how it is to manage people to get the best out of them as well. She showed me that if you treat people with respect and you give them the tools they need to do a good job and you trust them and you show them that you trust them and you're clear about your expectations, then as long as you've hired good people, you're going to get great work out of them. So it was, I was very fortunate, I think, not to kind of grow up in, and perhaps I avoided it, but not to grow up in that sort of fear management culture mm-hmm. that was so prevalent and is still prevalent in the working world. And and so those, those were both, you know, really inspiring people to me as a, as a young person. Um, but I spent 10 years working for myself as an, independent freelance consultant in this sustainability space Mm -hmm. and i i was good at it and i got lots of work and it was fine and it kind of worked with having a bit of a young family although i'm the the last to say that i did much of the childcare, but i was around at least and um i realized though at the towards the end of that time that i was a bit bored Mm -hmm. and really that I'm better with other people. I work better mm-hmm. in collaboration with other people. And I thought, well, what do I do about that? Like, I, I don't know what I need to do now. I need to I need to be in collaboration with other people. I need to be sort of in the moment with other people. That's when I do my best work. You know, I don't do my best work sitting in an ivory tower coming up with great works of philosophy or, or art or something on my own. That's just not who I am. I'm better kind of in the moment. And I thought, well, I, I just need to be working more regularly with other people. And... I was seeking out what that might look like. And this opportunity to to take over the London office of junction came up. And I thought that's that's it. That's the right move. And it it's made a lot of sense to me to be to be in a community of others, of other people who think like I do, but then in a position where I can bring my values about what I think a good business looks like to bear. And mm-hmm. uh I found that tremendously rewarding and I find that tremendously rewarding every day.
0: Gosh, that's so inspiring to hear that. What's really interesting is watching this sort of golden thread go through your mm. your life um, and how we pick up. It's funny because I I you do remember people, don't you, that have this massive impact on you. In fact, it's funny because I I have just made contact with someone who had a massive impact on me when I first I, I had to go before I did my teacher PGCE, I had to work at a at a school in London. And I I I'd been living in Cambridge. So I, I came to London and just I just ended up having this placement in a in a school nearby in North London. And I remember walking into this drama classroom and watching this extraordinary woman manage these quite difficult young people. And it just blew me away, and I just thought, right, that's that's what I want to do. That's exactly what I want to do. And I, I recently met somebody who um, I'd actually taught, um, and he he told me that he was still in touch with with this woman. And I said, I really, I really want to tell her <laughs> about the impact that she had on me because I don't think I ever told her. And mm-hmm. you know, here I am at my age, looking back at something that was so pivotal for me when I was twenty four, and I haven't told her. And she's still alive, and she—I wanted to know. <laughs> nice. And it, it reminds me of that, and it reminds me of the power of people, inspiring people to enable you to to tap into um, a purpose that really matters to you, and allows you to go through these moments, like you just described, and I'm sure there are many where the pressure is enlivening because it just allows you to wanna to do more or, or wants you to go into that. And you know, the, the, the field you're in is by no means easy right now. No. And what I'm hearing is that you attract people who have the same vision and the same purpose and the same wish to to have an impact in the world. And I think there are many organizations that don't necessarily have that very, very strong purpose or mission, mm-hmm. but, but when you do, in an area that as you know, by your own admittance is is tough. How do you keep these young, I'm imagining they're young people who come to work with you and want to have this impact on the world. How do you keep them having um, a relationship with the ambition, stroke pressure, um, stroke force that allows them to stay positive?
1: Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, we're certainly very clear about what we stand for and the way we want to show up, and and we we talk about it a lot. I mean, in a way, it's not much more than that, which is to say, our purpose, and we say our purpose uh, is to accelerate the shift to the purpose economy, so one that is has well-being for people and planet at its heart, and we talk about that at work. So. And we say, that's our, that's our purpose. That's why we get out of bed in the morning. That's why we exist beyond making money. And And our picture of success, our vision of our work, of the world made better by our work, is an economy remade to serve the common good. Now, these are deliberately huge, big, hairy, audacious goals. Mm-hmm. They're deliberately designed not to suggest that we can do them on our own, that we have to do them in partnership with others, with our clients, with our peers, with our, with colleagues in other uh, companies that you might think of as competitors, but we like to be collaborative with in certain circumstances. Those are braised in that compelling, big, hairy, audacious goal way quite deliberately, because we think that we should strive for something Enormous. We should strive for something magnificent, and and it's what the world needs. So it's compelling because it's true and exciting, and 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 scary because it's so enormous. But also, it it opens up a field of possibilities. Mm. So I I come across too many companies who say their visions, particularly in the service sector, who say mm. their vision is to provide the best possible service to our clients and customers. I'm like, really? What what's that? That's not a vision. I mean, that's that's just surely that's table stake. Surely that's like customer service. Like our customers matter to us, therefore we're going to try and do. Yeah. Of course. That's not a vision. Like how can anyone how how's anyone going to join you on the on the barricades? How's anyone gonna spring out of bed in the morning if you say mm. your job today is to serve customers really well? Mm. Okay. Why? Yes. To achieve what? With what end in mind? So we're very clear about that, but we're also we repeat it. Frankly, yeah. I mean, you know, there's that old adage about. I think it's ascribed to George Bernard Shaw. The, the misconception about communication is that it's happened or something. You know, like yes,
0: you, yes. Generally,
1: people don't hear it until you've said it so often that you're really, really bored by saying it, and eventually, when you're really bored by saying it, that the people who you're saying it to have finally heard it, and. Um, so we just we talk about that stuff a lot and we we say that's what we stand for. So what does that look like? What does that look like in our processes and ways of working? And we get right down into it. So we say, for example, our, our strap line is let's be audacious together. So we say, well, what is audacious? What does being mm-hmm. audacious look like in our projects? How mm-hmm. would we know if we're being audacious? Should we have a question in our internal project kickoff? template cheat sheet that says, what is the audacious question we need to ask of this client on this project? Mm -hmm. So it's about really being intentional and really making it, taking these big ideas and turning them into everyday workplace realities, bringing purpose into the conversation every day at work. And that's key. So few organizations do that. And again, it's a way that we can practice modeling the way I think businesses ought to be run. Yeah, is is in that intentionality, in that everyday communication about our purpose.
0: I love that, Adam, so much. And I, you know, I think, I mean, like you, I there's a lot of teams I work with, and sometimes, you know, I'm I'm witnessing exactly that. Them down in the down in the weeds, they're down in the to do list, they're down in the projects they've got to get over the line, and actually. What I'm hearing and what you're saying, which I love so much, is when you talk about it and you start there in the conversation, then it, something happens. Energetically, mm-hmm. something happens to human beings when you remind ourselves what we're doing and why we're doing it. It makes the doing not necessarily less difficult, but yeah. more, you're more galvanised to attack it.
1: Well, we're, we're hardwired to search for meaning, mm-hmm. right, as, as mm-hmm. human beings. and. And we wanna be in communion with other people. And we want to be true to our values and we want to make a difference. Those are all well-known kind of psychological attributes of every human being. And you can combine all of those in a business that is purposeful and is clear about its vision and communicates well and looks after its people and creates a sense of collegiality and i love trying to create that workplace for my people every day it gives me such a buzz and i don't always pull it off and of course we make mistakes and all of those things but the ambition to create that environment is always there with me and the challenge of living up to do that goal is when I kind of willingly embrace every day and I kind of revel in it, I, mm. I, I, I adore that pressure. Um, I
0: can feel it, I can feel it just as you're talking actually, it's, it's really contagious. What Adam is reinforcing for me here, as others have done on previous podcast episodes, is the fact that when we connect to a purpose that's bigger than us, pressure can become an energy that we can, to quote Adam, revel in and adore. It reminds me of listening to Leslie Patterson in the last episode, who said it helps her to keep going so she can bring to life stories that need to be told. It's a challenge that Juro gave us in episode 14 when he stated, know why you want to be better under pressure. For what reason? It has to be bigger than you. I love Adam's provocation on purpose and mission statements. Whether they're mission statements for an organization or a mantra to keep you personally strong for your own motivation. Actively linking it to a purpose beyond you creates an energy that breeds both individual and collective effort. Knowing what your effort is in service to. As Nietzsche reminds us, when we have a why for life, we can bear almost any how. Our purpose energy is fired up when we connect what we do to why it matters to others. I felt it listening to Adam, and that's the point. When we feel it, others feel it. It's when eyewitness leaders really have impact on those they lead, when they have deliberate ways to connect to it themselves. It really is contagious, just as lack of purpose can also be contagious. I want to reiterate a couple of the points that Adam makes about keeping the flame of purpose central to everything they do. Firstly, they make sure it states the impact for good cause. They keep asking, to achieve what? Lathering up to the long-term impact, Adam says, we strive for something enormous, for something magnificent that the world needs. I love the relationship he describes between excitement and scary. It becomes compelling because it's exciting and scary, and it opens up a field of possibilities. This exciting, scary dynamic is key in forging an enlivening relationship with pressure. When it's only scary, the pressure can easily become unhelpful. And Adam reminds us that the job of a compelling purpose, for good, is to lift us into the excitement. So we want to keep making progress, despite it being tough. Secondly, he says, we talk about what we stand for a lot. We talk about it every day. The power of repetition is wildly underestimated. George Bernard Shaw had a point when he said, the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that has taken place. It's all too easy to think that once is enough. State it at the start of every meeting, have it at the forefront of every decision. It can then become such a useful filter. But beyond all that, the energy we gain from avidly connecting to a purpose that matters to us is exponential. And the ace card, as far as I'm concerned, in growing a relationship with pressure that is positively energizing. People who who find it hard to keep that connection. Adam, what is it that you do for yourself that actually Keeps that very much like that pilot light mm. glowing for you, just before anybody else. How do you keep that pilot light going?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and I I've definitely been inconsistent on this over my life. Like I'm in my mid fifties now, and I you know there've been moments when I've been really terrible at looking after myself. I mean, if I think back to the days when I was a campaigner at, uh, at Friends of the Earth in the nineties too many times, you'd go to the pub just for one, and have five pints of beer and two packs of crisps for dinner again. And then and then I'd come to the office the next day, frankly, hungover, and mm. then I'd go off at an early lunch and have cheese omelet and chips, <laughs> again, in the calf. I mean, like what, you know, it's a poor lifestyle. I mean, I was in my twenties and I guess I could t- sort of just about withstand it, but i have been the first to say that I've done it wrong before I've done it right, perhaps. I certainly try and sleep more and eat better and don't drink too much. You know, I try and do all those things much more. But the key thing I think I do is I try and take some time out. I think every leader needs to take some time away from the coalface, mm. uh, build in some time for reflection. And in during one of those reflections, I realized that, I mean, it's not rocket science really, but I realized that I love going for walks. I love being in nature, I love looking around and in a sort of wider environment than just my room Mm -hmm. and during Covid I suggested to my brother who lives not very far away that we meet twice a week and go for a walk on Hampstead Heath at 7.30 in the morning Um, and we've been doing that for three years now Mm -hmm. so that's been fantastic, that's definitely Mm -hmm. the best thing that's come out of Covid and the other thing that came up during that time was I realised that I've always swum occasionally in pools and in the ponds on the Heath. And I saw this wonderful film, which is on Netflix uh, at the moment called The Ponds um, a few years ago. And I was lucky enough to listen to the director and producer talk about it in a Q and A afterwards. And I was flabbergasted by the film. It shows how these people who swim year round in the ponds have an enormous sense of resilience and joy Mm. in the face of personal trauma, loss of loved ones, partners, Breast cancer, you know, being hit by a bus and being in a coma for two mm. weeks. I mean, all these terrible stories. My brother's friend, Red, who 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 went blind, had a de- degenerative eye disease, knew he was going to go blind. And he says in the film at one point, it's the only time in my day when I forget that I'm blind. Mm. And I was just mm. so struck by this film. I thought I should try it. I went swimming once. This was four, four years ago, on my birthday in March. It was bloody freezing. <laughs> it was nine degrees. I was in the water for as little as possible. And I just thought, that is nuts. I don't know how these people do it. But last year, I, I thought, you know what? I I should I should just swim more. I feel good. Mm-hmm. When I'm and so I started swimming in the ponds again in the summer with my wife, Andrea, going to the women's pond. As I say, a, a couple that swims apart stays together. And uh, <laughs> she's, at, she's in the women's pond and I'm in the men's pond. And um, so now... I uh, I swam through the last winter, the first time. I went swimming once or twice a week for the last year or a year and a half. You know, a couple of times it was three degrees. The water just just seems nuts to think about now. That immersion, literally mm-hmm. immersion in nature, I find fantastically restorative. It's like nature squared or something. It's like I've always enjoyed being in nature, like I say, but being in the water in open water on the heath, looking around at the trees, it's amazing. I mean, obviously there's a sort of hormonal whatever, endorphin rush, whatever it is. But I find myself thinking, I am water. Now, I don't spend, a you know, I don't have a cold shower and think I am water. So, I, you know, I do think there's something about actually being in the physical environment that yeah. induces those thoughts it takes me to a very different place from the day to day of zoom meetings and emails yeah yeah but it's tremendously restorative and afterwards especially when it's cold in the winter afterwards when i come out i think come on then bring it on world <laughs> do your do your worst i've got you I, and 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 now i share in that joy that i saw the people in the in the ponds in the film that sense that they have of, of that resilience, like, you know, all of the, well, not all, many of the indicators, let's say about climate, have got worse. We used to think, not th- three years ago, I think the, the, the statistic was there was only a 33% chance that we wouldn't be able to stay within one and a half degrees of global heating. And now there's more like a 33% chance that we will hmm. in three years moving in the wrong direction pretty quickly. Um, and so it'd be easy to, to despair. But I kind of think, well, we've got to celebrate. Like I said earlier, there are victories along the way. Change is happening. But we also need to look after ourselves. And we have to be aware of what triggers us, aware of what depletes us, aware of what restores us, and then do that habitually. That's been so important for me. And that, Despite everything, I feel more resilient and more joyful this year than ever before.
0: Oh, Adam, if I had a highlighter pen that would bright orange, I'd be underlining the last paragraph of what you just said. It's so I can feel it. Um, it's such an inspiration. Because I, I totally believe you, you know, and I think if all of us could just honor what really matters to us and do it deliberately and intentionally every day. I am absolutely convinced that we would have, if not 10%, 30%, 40% more impact on our daily life and, and what we want to do with it. I really feel that. I mean, that's what lights me up every day when I work with leaders in sometimes massive organizations. If you could just create that for one or two, three leaders that then radiates out to their teams that, you know, then then we, we start to spread the intention that we we've got to look after ourselves
1: totally i I've, I've done a talk a couple of times now. i did it this week as part of london climate action week at reset connect this big event at uh, the excel arena and i do this talk i've called the six a's they're in three couplets mm-hmm. and they're my sort of what i call my six essential reflections for every business leader in the climate crisis and the last of those is awareness the last of those is awareness of what depletes us and and uh you know i think every leader needs to have a be, have a sound approach and be ambitious. Every leader needs to step up and be an activist in some way, and and form alliances. And every leader needs to be accountable to their stakeholders. But ultimately and finally, they need to be aware mm. of what what depletes them, what restores them, and and turn it into a habit that you do regularly, because it's those habits that that that's where behaviour yeah. that you know that's what we what you do habitually matters.
0: Yeah. And yeah, and it matters right up to the purpose that you're talking about at the beginning. Totally. And I think that's the that's the gap that I think sometimes we don't look at. We you know, there's the purpose, the ambition, and what we want to cause in the world. And it feels like it's mm. a long, long way from the way my day starts
1: mm. it can um, do but lots of people, I think that's true. And I think it's intentionality, isn't it? It's about, yeah, yeah, it's about knowing knowing why you're doing something, but also being very intentional that you bring it into the everyday, yes, uh, yes. and it's really hard to do, you know, email inboxes or a million yeah. ways. We now get messages, you know, WhatsApp and email and messenger and, and, and it's, you know, we're overflowing with, with input. And um, it's harder than ever to, to sort of maintain that, that integrity, that, that clear golden thread from your purpose to your everyday actions. And uh, again, i yeah. plenty of times I fail to, to achieve everything i want to achieve in a day of course and we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much about that right you know we're we're not in control of every minute of every day of our lives despite our best efforts but we can be in control of why we do what we do Mm -hmm. and how often we reflect on it and think about it and bring it into the everyday
0: oh i love this provocation by adam how do we keep this golden thread running through from our purpose to our everyday actions? Of course, all of us have things to get through, you know, like life admin, as I call it, things that just have to be achieved. But the point he makes here about how much of our day is consciously tracking the thread from purpose to action is useful. And he's right. We're living in a world of input overload. It's a massive force for distraction and that constant pull, that. Constant noise can become a pressure that takes us away from what truly matters. This is why becoming intentional about what matters, and as Adam says, bringing it into our everyday, is so vital to resist the pull of more input and its capacity to distract us. Morton Hansen has a great phrase to encourage this level of focus. Do less, then obsess. Committing to anything or being intentional requires deliberate effort, our mind energy, and our mind energy is finite, it runs out. So we need to be intentional about where we spend it. It's so much easier to succumb to the pull of our impulses and urges. They give us a sense of instant gratification. I know that I only have to smell coffee in this house and I'm halfway down the stairs before I know it, shouting, me too, please. Gloria Mark, who studies digital distraction at the University of California, wrote in the New York Times, Our research has shown that attention distraction can lead to higher stress, a bad mood, and lower productivity. According to Gloria, to return to your original task after an interruption, it takes an average of almost 25 minutes, actually 23 minutes, 15 seconds to be exact. Multiple studies confirm this. Distractions don't just eat up time during the distraction, they derail your mental progress for up to half an hour afterwards assuming another distraction doesn't show up in that half an hour. And of course, it's crucial to make sure that we have our own restorative practice. Take our shed seriously in our every day so we can fuel our effort to be this intentional. Is that the main way you lift others from pressure? So I, I'm interested in is this as two, two groups of people that you are supporting. And I'm wondering how you do that when they are feeling pressure. So the people that work for you, mm. I think, you know, you've said, we, we talk about the purpose. Does Is that enough to lift them and, and get them sort of feeling their own agency again is, is one question. The second question is when you're going into businesses and they want to make a difference in the sustainability area mm. and they are feeling overwhelmed or they're feeling that the pressure is too much for them. What, how do you manage that? How do you, how do you turn that around? for them
1: yeah okay well big big questions both i'll take them i'll take the internal one first so right
0: uh
1: yeah with with the with our people so we deliberately every tuesday we have half hour meetings this is we have people in canada and uk so it's in the afternoon in the uk and the it's a 30 minute kind of weekly check-in and every week we have a section of it called asks and offers and it's an invitation to everyone on the team to say, I need help with this, or I'm a bit, I've am got too much on, or can someone help me, I, this isn't getting done, and, you know, and, or, and, or to offer and say, I haven't got much on actually, you know, I'm a bit, if you, does anyone need a second pair of eyes on something? I, I'd happily contribute that. So again, bringing that into our every day or every week processes is, is, is part of it. But also, you know, we try and be open, Mike, uh, my co-owner and I, we try and be open to people talking to us. And, and to share. So we have regular, well, we speak often, but we have regular sort of one-to-ones, monthly one-to-ones where we we try and turn them into coaching opportunities for our people. And we, you know, it's a bit of a regular rhythm. How's it going? Again, a sort of check-in over the last month. Mm-hmm. If you look back over the last month, how's it been for you? What's been good? What's been bad? We try and offer, you know, kudos where it's you. you know, this was a good piece of work and what, ask them about barriers they're facing. So we, we intentionally ask people those questions every month in a, you know, semi-formalized process. And so we're, you know, we, we're we open to those conversations. We're telling people we're open to those conversations. We're structuring those conversations in order to get to the heart of the matter, what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also say that when necessary, we we would, you know, step in and have more direct one-to-one conversations with people and ask them how we can support them. And quite often, I mean, you know, like I say, I think it's easy when you get older, you know, people are worried about how they're showing up. They're worried if they're doing the right thing. They're worried if they're following the right process. They're worried that uh, how how are they going to come across? I have a standard sort of phrase that I think people are probably getting bored by, which is try and get out of your own way. Yeah. If you're in a client presentation or a client meeting and you're worried about how you're coming across then you're not going to come across well because you're you're, you're not thinking about the client you're thinking about yourself mm-hmm. so be as present as you can be really listen to what you're hearing pick up on all those cues that the client's giving you perhaps through body language obviously harder over zoom than it is in person really be attentive really mm-hmm. be present and in being present you're more likely to perform better so those are some of the tools and techniques and things i say to people internally externally with clients we, we we pair off a couple of values that we have so we say we want to be curious and and listen and and we also like to have a bit of fun at work but more importantly when it comes to client meetings and and helping clients on their journeys we have a pair of values. One is to be generous and one is to be courageous. And the reason I pair them up
0: mm.
1: is because we want to be generous to people. So we want to meet people where they are. You know, we're, I'm not in the business of telling people they're wrong or they're, they're a bad person. Like most people are trying to do the right thing. Most people are good people trapped in a bad system. Mm-hmm. So of course there are some psychopaths out there. <laughs> you know, yeah. They exist everywhere. <laughs> But there aren't that many people who are psychopathic, genuinely. And most people in businesses, including in businesses that are you know, polluting the planet and not doing anything like what they should be doing, most people in those businesses are good people trapped in a bad system. Yeah. So we have to approach them with that generosity. And we have to meet them where they are.
0: Yeah.
1: So that this is where I am today. This is the challenge I'm facing. We have to listen into that and understand that. But we also have to be courageous. We also have to speak truth to power. We also have to be clear to them that, if they don't know it already, that the trajectory their business is on is unsustainable, that there are some ethical norms of good business behavior that society expects. So if your business model relies on paying people less than they can live on, I don't think that's right. And I'm going to tell you I don't think that's right because there is a concept of a living wage. It seems to be pretty well accepted globally that ideally people would earn enough through their labor to live well. That Mm -hmm. seems to me to be an ethical norm that we all ought to be able to sign off on. And if you're running a business that doesn't do that, and that has that baked into its business model, then I'm going to tell you that that's unsustainable, and you need to look at that. But I'm going to meet you where you are, and I'm going to help you get to there. Like that's my task as a consultant is to do both of those things, is to be generous and meet you where you are, but also to hold you to socially agreed norms of good business behaviour, and of course to stay within what are called planetary boundaries. Ideally, you know, let's say on climate, to, mm-hmm. to run your business so that you aren't contributing to global heating beyond one and a half degrees and pre-industrial levels and that combination of values that showing up with both generosity and courage makes me feel like I'm doing my job right and correctly and also I think I think is fair to our clients because Mm -hmm. they don't need someone else telling them yeah if you just do a little bit it'll be fine like I I don't think that's Correct. And I don't think in their heart of hearts they believe it either. They might think that's the easiest thing they can sell into their boss, mm-hmm. but they know it's not true. You know, there's a difference between what's pragmatic and what's correct. Mm-hmm. And I am very comfortable with pointing that out to people because genuinely I think they will feel better than, about themselves as individuals, as people, as parents perhaps, or as uncles or as aunts, if they hear that from someone and are supported and challenged to go on that journey.
0: Yeah. And you're connecting them to a purpose, aren't you? Beyond self, which on the whole, most of us feel something when that happens. As you say, it's a, a natural human craving to find meaning. So if you've got someone helping you connect to that, through generosity and courage, then they go on the journey with you more likely. I, I'm presuming.
1: Yeah, they go. I think so. And I, and I think they see you as a partner. So you 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 know, I willingly yeah. step into the challenge and I say, look, this isn't easy. There are some some harsh realities here, but you know, together stronger. Let's see how we can help you. You know, rise to some of those challenges and. Um, you know, we say that our, our mission, our day-to-day work is to help leaders build the success stories of the purpose economy. And, and so we're helping people, you know, we're helping those leaders. Yes. Now, my job is not to help a business make more money, my, my, or, or not even to help the business be more sustainable. My, my mission is to help the leaders mm. do that. You know, mm-hmm. we're in support to them and their yes. ambitions, but, but acknowledging that every company needs to, to try and live within these planetary boundaries and meet these ethical norms and, and make a positive contribution yeah. to the world. And holding that and 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 supporting them on their journey, that's our mission um, at Junction. And, and being very clear about that and being very sort of personal in our interactions and building those relationships with our clients and seeing them as whole people that, you know, feel bad about some of the stuff they do at work and helping them feel better about the stuff they do at work. Yeah. that That's the way that we choose to consult. And, yeah. um, and that, like you say, is, I hope is more meaningful, a deeper relationship uh, connecting them with their perhaps their personal purpose and their personal sense of integrity. Yeah. Um, and in so doing, I hope, helping them, all of us, you know, Feel better, be better, do better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm I really s- s- hearing your 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 um, emphasis on sort of getting out of your own way for your, particularly the people that are working. Well, not just for the people that are internally working for you, but also maybe some of the leaders that you're consulting and being yes. partners, partners t- to. Um, it reminds me, I mean, I've said this before, but this whole idea of helping someone truly listen Um, which I think is at the heart of what you're saying too, which is, I I was once told by a director in improvisation, you know, Sarah, make the other person more important than you in that moment. That was such a useful note. And I actually think it's possibly, I've said this before as well, it's the, the best definition of active listening I've ever received, which is in that moment, that other person is more important than you. And it doesn't mean that you have to agree with them, but you are giving them your full energy to truly sit in their world as they share it you're looking at them not them looking at you it just shifts that balance when you're working
1: uh, um, absolutely yeah and, and being able to be in that space with people is you know I, I can't expect my new consultants to be able to do that as well as perhaps i can do it you know it's 30 i'm old i'm older than some of the parents of the people who i now employ which is a, a new <laughs> a new reality for me sarah and uh, 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 um, I'm still getting used to that one. Um, but absolutely, you know, it's a practice and yeah. we could all get better. We could all practice it. Um, running a consulting firm, it's a consulting practice, I like to say, right?
0: Yes, that's, very that's good. That's
1: the heart of it. Yeah, of it yeah. I
0: do. Brilliant. So, um, Adam, I always finish with these two questions, which is asking guests if there was somebody listening to this podcast who wanted to be better under pressure and turn pressure into a force for better. What would be your two pay forwards from the whole of your experience? What would be your two nuggets?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I've, I don't know that these are particularly pearls of wisdom or the things you, you probably haven't heard on from previous guests. Um, but I would say that you, you can learn when you're likely to feel pressure. You can feel it in your body and you can get used to those feelings and you can identify them, you can recognize them. And when you recognize them, you that should therefore be an opportunity to prepare for them, right? So it's that classic example idea of, you know, recognizing the problem is half, half the way to the solution. So recognize the problem and then prepare for those moments when you know you will be under pressure. So uh, I like to prepare for talks. Because I know if I just talk, I could, I'll just wrap it on. So prepare for those pressure moments. You can do that. You can recognize them and you can prepare for them. And they will go better. Yeah. Um, and then the other one that I hope I've already said a couple of times probably is find something that builds your personal resilience and do it habitually.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so for me, that that's turned out to be you know swimming in, in the pond it doesn't matter what it is the point is it's got to matter for you find something that builds your personal resilience yeah and and do it habitually because we we all need that we it's tough and uh, uh perhaps the source of both of those is just taking that time to reflect yeah you know if you if you don't reflect on where when you feel pressure you won't be able to prepare for it and if you don't reflect yeah. What you need to do to restore your sense of self, you won't find that thing that works for you and be able to do it habitually. So, yeah, perhaps that's the that matter. I did leaders don't reflect enough.
0: Thank you so much, Adam. So much to reflect on in this whole discussion, but I I really appreciate your your honesty and your openness. Thank you.
1: You're very welcome, Sarah. It's been uh, it's been a real joy. I've enjoyed it a lot.
0: Me too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne-Rowe. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.